God is all you need. Jesus is all you need. Three of you agree with that. That's good. (laughs) We know to say yes to that because we know in our head that's right. But we need to ask ourselves, is that how I'm living my life? Do I live my life each day as if I'm totally dependent upon Him? We sang the songs this morning, and I even shared at the opening some things about, about our life. Is, the Bible says that, that our life is hidden with God in Christ Jesus. That when you came to Christ... It wasn't that you introduced yourself to him and he introduced himself to you and put his hand on your back and said, welcome to the family, welcome to the club, welcome in. No, no, no. The Bible says you died. Not your body, but your, old, your inner man literally died. And a new one was born in you, and that literally is you are being joined to Christ. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians that you are one spirit. With him. John chapter 17, and some places earlier, he says that you are, we are one with one another and we are one with him. Now, let me ask you this question. If you combine greater and lesser, which one's going to get absorbed? I used to, my wife reminded me of this the other day. I used to use as a teaching example if you went out to this beautiful, crystal clear pool, you could see the bottom, you could see all the little imperfections in the bottom of the pool, and you took a ink drop, a drop, an eyedropper with ink in it, and dropped one drop of that black ink, the the the, the kind that you can't wash out, the, and drop that into that pool of crystal clear water. What's going to happen to the ink? It's going to get absorbed in there, isn't it? Going to get lost in the clearness of that. Why? Because that water is so large and so immense that it absorbs the blackness of the ink. When you came to Christ, all your imperfections, all your weaknesses were absorbed into Him. And yet we try to live so much of our life on our own, depending on our own resources, and that's why you stumble over all your own weaknesses all the time, because you're relying upon yourself instead of coming to Him and relying upon Him. And that's something you do on a daily basis in real-life circumstances, not just in church on Sunday, but when you stub your toe, whether it's physically or spiritually or emotionally, when you discover some weakness just rears its head that you thought you had control over and you said, oh, no, there it is again, just absorb in Him. And that all gets absorbed in who He is. And gradually what happens is your identity begins to change and you begin to see yourself as in Him. The Bible's full of all kinds of promises and provisions of what is ours because we are in Him. And the problem is we don't walk in those because we don't see ourselves in Him. A few weeks ago in prayer on a Sunday morning, prayer, yeah, no, in prayer on Tuesday night, I just felt the Spirit of God saying the reason we struggle is we have an identity crisis. Our identity is ourselves. And the Bible says my identity is in Him. So we see our struggles in terms of what we can do. We see life in terms of how well we do, we're doing it, living out this life. And most of us, if we're honest enough, we're not doing too God a job living out our own life. And if you think you are, you've got another problem. <laughs> it's called pride. 
And so God doesn't want you living this on yourself. You're not here to prove what a good job you can do with your life. Because all you'll do is prove what a mess you can make. We're here to prove what a good job He can do with your, the life that you bring to Him. Praise the Lord. Well, we've been studying this, most of this year this subject of who Jesus is. We're out of Matthew chapter 16. But we're going to start this morning in John chapter 1, which is where we were last time. And we're going to pick up here... Uh, Last week we did a special message and we're going to go pick up again where we were two weeks ago. We're still talking about who Jesus is. And the question that's asked us, who is Jesus to you? And so we're looking at some of the things the Bible says about him. It says he's the Christ, the Son of the living God. And we're looking at what does it mean that God sent his Son. And the real beginnings of that we'll see here in John chapter 1. We looked at these last week, so I'm not going to spend too much time in here because I want to go on to some other scriptures that support this. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So we see here, first of all, that in the beginning, the beginning of what? The beginning of this realm of existence, the beginning of what we would call the natural material realm. It includes, as you'll see in our study in a few minutes, it includes not just everything you can see, but it includes the heavens around the earth. The Bible talks about heaven and it means several to- different things in different contexts. In many contexts, when it's talking about the heavens, plural, it's talking about the spiritual atmosphere around this earth. It's not talking about where God dwells, His throne room. That is a heaven, but there's a heavenly realm, which basically is the spirit realm that's around this earth. And the Bible teaches us that when the rebellion happened in heaven, we don't know when it happened, when it happened, a third of the angels got behind Lucifer and and tried to rebel against God. didn't last long because Jesus said, I saw him fall like lightning from heaven. So it wasn't a long battle. But he fell, Lucifer fell, that's when he became Satan, and took with him a third of the angels that had rebelled with him. And they were assigned, at least for this period of time, to this earth. And then God sent, created his own man here, really as another creation. God endowed him with certain responsibilities and certain abilities. That was Adam and then Eve. And then we see in chapter 3 of Genesis, Adam turned those authority to this, over this earth over to Lucifer who was now Satan. And the Bible calls him now the God of this earth. So people wonder, why is there trouble on the earth? Because Satan is the God of this earth. But Christ came back as the second Adam to redeem not just your life and my life, but to redeem mankind out of that fall. And when he did, he then gave to... He, he says in the end of Matthew says also in the beginning of Revelation, all authority, all power authority has been given unto me. It says in Revelation, I hold the keys of death, hell, and the grave. So he got the authority back. He won it back legally. That's what he did on the cross. That's what he did when he, when he went into hell and was raised from the dead. That's why his resurrection is so important. And he won it back. And, and to everyone that comes to Christ, that authority, that original authority is given back to us. That's why we have his name. The church is not to be just some weak organization that is buffeted around by the politics and by the, the, the devil in the earth, and we're just hoping to survive. We are the body of Christ in the earth today, and just as, oh, this is good, it's just as it says in Hebrews in several places, behold, he says, I have, uh, you did sacrifices and offerings you did not desire, but a body you've given. 
And I've come in the word of the law to, to carry out your will in my body. And of course, his will in his body was to go to the cross and die. I never thought of this before. But we are the what? The body of Christ. And that body has been given to the earth. What? To carry out his will in the earth. And that's who you and I are. We are part of his body. So we're here to do his will, not to establish your will and have him endorse it. It's fine to have plans and dreams and things, but we're here to carry out his dream. We're here to carry out his will. And you'll, I can save you a lot of heartache. You'll find, because I've been 33 years at this, when you adjust your will to under his will, life goes a whole lot easier. There's a purpose for your life. Instead of trying to establish your own purpose, adopt his. Because guess what? His anointing's on his purpose. We try to get him to bless our purpose. When you just do his purpose, it's blessed. Praise God. Well, that was exciting, wasn't it? I knew that would excite you. (laughs) All right, let's go on here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. So we saw last time that this Word, because the next verse says, He was in the beginning with God. So we see the Word as a person, and we've seen that that Word literally means the full expression of the Father, the expression of His character, His nature, His will, His personality. Everything about Him is expressed in the Word. A word's an expression of something. And in the case of a, of, 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 a, of a son, it's an expression of the son. So I was walking around here last night, not only as the pastor, but as a proud dad. Because it was my son that was involved to a large extent in organizing this. So I'm walking around with a big grin on my face. Why? Because he's... He, he, some, and if he messes up, it's a mess up of me. But if it succeeds, why? Because an expression... It's like the old expression. They're chip off the old block. And so that's not abnormal, is it? That's normal. And so in the beginning was a chip off the old block. That's basically what it's saying. Was the full expression of the Father. And we know the next verse says... It's a person because it says he was in the beginning with God. Okay, let's go on. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from John. It's going to talk about John the Baptist, whose name was John. This man came as a witness to bear witness of the light, that through him men might believe. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness of the light. Now it's going to go back and talk about Jesus. That was the true light, which was the light that to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. We saw that last time. That the irony is that when, when the Christ took on flesh and became Jesus, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, but the world did not recognize him or know him. And that's still true today. He came to his own, that was the Jews, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, how many have received him here this morning? As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, or the will of man, but born of, we talked about this, out of God. Verse 14. And this is what we're talking about today. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We could say it this way. 
God took on flesh and lived among us. And because he could take on, because he took on flesh, we could behold his glory. Because without flesh, we could not see him. We could not recognize his glory. And we don't have the time this morning to go back into a study of the tabernacle in the wilderness and then of the, the, the temple of Solomon. But in both of those, there was a time when literally the glory of God came and dwelt in the middle of that tabernacle, but the average man could not see him. In fact, the only one that could see him was the high priest once a year on the Day of Atonement, and not without going through a whole ritual and wearing the right costume and doing everything correctly. Because if he didn't, he died on the spot. But God's now come, and we talked about this last time, not to dwell in a tabernacle made with hands, but God has come now to physically dwell among his people in a human body. And so that's what we're studying. What does it mean that God became a man and walked among us? Well, the first thing it means is we could now see him. And the thing we can see is we could behold His glory. That word literally means weightiness. His essence. We can behold now with our eyes His essence, His greatness, His beauty, His power. What else could we behold about Him? Dwell among us and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Look at this. Full of grace and truth. So what we could tell about God now, walking in the flesh, is we could see that he was full of grace and truth. Now go with me over to Hebrews chapter 1, because we're going to see another little side of this. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. God, so we're talking about the same one. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. Now stop there a second. That's an astounding statement. Because there's many people that believe God doesn't speak. First of all, all the images of God that man has ever made, they don't speak. The idols that Israel worshipped, they didn't speak, unless they were ventriloquists that made them. But this tells us that God, the creator of the universe, who knows everything, who's perfect and is holy, has spoken to men. God speaks. I'm going to say that again. God speaks. God speaks to us. God communicates to us, communicates His will, communicates His love, communicates direction. God is involved in your life or wants to be. God wants to communicate with you. I'm convinced the reason, one of the reasons so few people really have a prayer life is they get discouraged because, well, God didn't answer my prayer. God didn't talk to me. God talks. God speaks to us. God speaks to us. If you don't believe that, you won't try to listen. Well, if he's speaking, Pastor, how come I'm not hearing? Ah, that's the question. 
Now you've got your eyes in the right spot. Because if you don't believe he's talking, you won't ever look at yourself and find out why am I not hearing. But if you discover he's talking and you're not... You're going to be, what's wrong with the sound? Because I can see pastors talking, but how come I'm not hearing? But if I'm just standing here like this, you're wondering what's wrong with me, him, not what's wrong with you or the sound system, because I'm not talking then. So if we don't believe God talks to us, we'll never examine why am I not hearing. But the Bible says... God speaks to us. God speaks to us. God speaks to us. Now, just a little aside here. One of the reasons we have trouble hearing is sometimes we don't want to hear. We want to hear some things, but we don't want to hear everything. It's like our kids. They want to hear when it's time for dessert. They don't want to hear it's time to clean up my room. So the same precious ears that are so sensitive and finely tuned when it comes time for what they want to do are suddenly filled with wax. <laughs> and they're tone deaf when it comes to, you know, we're going to get up early tomorrow because we're going to go clean up the yard. It's just human nature. Of course, we'd never do that since we're grown-up adults, would we? It's just our kids that do that. God, at various times and in various ways, God speaks in different ways, has spoken to His people, to our fathers, through the prophets. So He's talking about communicating with His people. Verse 2, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son. So His Son, the Son didn't speak out of heaven. The sun, the clouds didn't part, and the sun's voice comes down saying, now I'm going to take over for the Father. Here's what He wants you to know. No, the Son spoke to us on behalf of the Father by taking on flesh and walking among us. So we know that His living and walking among us for those 33 plus years was God communicating to us. But now he's communicating not through prophets, so we have to discern whether they're right or wrong, but he's literally communicating by taking physical residence among us in a human body where it doesn't take faith. You just have to look at him and you can see him. You don't have to take faith to hear him. You can hear his voice. That's when he was walking on the earth. And yet still we see in John, people missed him, who he was. Why did they miss him? Because they weren't looking for him. See, there's this illusion that, well, seeing is believing. If I could just, Jesus, if just appear to me, then I'd believe him. Not necessarily. The Bible says that after he was raised from the dead, he appeared over 500. There were 120 only out of the 500 gathered waiting for him. So only one-fifth one of them believed. And yet they saw a man raised from the dead. So seeing is not believing. It might help you a little bit, but believing is an act of your will. It's an openness to choose to believe what he says, not what I think or even what I might see. So now God's speaking to us 
by taking on flesh. So one of the significances that Jesus is the Son of God is that God's communicating to us through Him. All right. The question is, are we listening? Has in these last days spoken to us by or through His Son, whom He appointed, God the Father, appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the worlds. So here again we see, and we're going to see it again when we go to Colossians in a minute, God made these worlds through the Son, the second person of the Godhead. He is responsible to the Father for these worlds, which is why He's the one that had to come. Okay. Verse 3. Now He's going to talk about the Son. Who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person. Let's talk about that for a minute. Who being the brightness of His glory. I don't don't have it happen now so much, but uh, when I was still practicing law, my office was, we lived down here, but my office was up in, in Worcester, and there were certain times of the year when I would go, go out 195 and you'd turn a certain corner and if you hit it at the, uh, 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 at the, at the um, coming home, excuse me, if you hit it at the wrong time, right, the sun would hit you in the eyes. There's a thing that you've listened to the, the, the traffic forecast, they're called the sun glare. People start slowing down because the sun's coming just to the point where it's coming right down the road and hitting them and it's blinding. It's a, it's a brightness of the sun. Do you understand that our life is sustained by a mass that's 93 million miles away, or 90, whatever it is, 96 or 90, give or take a million mile or two? 93 million miles away. I came out on my deck last yesterday afternoon to sit down or to study a little bit, and it was just so nice and warm because the sun was beginning to come around the corner of my house and come on our deck under, we got a little covering there. And I could feel the warmth as it came around the corner. And that came from 93 million miles away. And what was it? It was the brightness of the sun. That word actually means effluence. It's the outshining. It, 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 the moon shines at night. But the moon doesn't produce any light. Light just bounces off of it from the sun, from the moon, to your eyes. So the moon can't produce any light of itself. It just reflects light that shined on it. That's not what this word means. Jesus was not a reflection of his Father. This word, but this word also implies that Whatever is the brightness is not the source of the light either. What it describes instead is something or someone that has absorbed the light from its source and then re-shines it again. Now, we don't do this so much anymore, but they used to have dials on your watches that were made of luminescent paint. And what would happen is, is during the course of the day, that light would literally shine. Well, actually, I have a watch. It's not this one. Well, this one, this one will do it too. The watch that, that has a little solar battery in it. And what happens is, 
it will absorb whatever light there is, store it in a battery, and then at night, when it's totally dark, it emits light, the light that it absorbed comes back out of it again. Now, that watcher is not the source of light. It's not producing light. It takes the light that it's absorbed and then rebroadcasts it. That's what this word means. There's an important difference because if it's like the moon, it's just passive. Remember there was a man that came to Jesus? He said, good master. And he's about to say something. Jesus stopped him. He says, no, no, no. There's only one good, and that's my father. Well, Jesus was good. He never sinned. But Jesus was acknowledging there, Jesus was acknowledging there that the source of his goodness was in him. It was the one, listen to me, it was the one he came out of. The one he was one with was the, listen to me, was the source of his goodness. We're going to see, as I've already mentioned, when you came to Christ, you were joined to him. Therefore, the source of your goodness is Him. And since the source of His goodness is the Father, the Father is the source of your goodness through the Son. So you're not to establish your own goodness and to bring it to Christ. Your goodness is like filthy rags, the Bible says. You're just to come to Him, and in Him, as you walk out and learn to live out that relationship with Him, He will produce His goodness in you. So you become a reflection of Him, not of what a good job you've done with yourself. That way He gets the glory. Because He is the outshining of His Father's glory. And you see that? It's just like it says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 says, talks about an order. It says, because the, the Father is the glory of the... The Son is the glory of the Father. The man is the glory of the, of the Son. And the woman is the glory of the husband. There's an order there. What it's basically saying is when a husband gets in the right order with his wife and the wife gets in the right order with her husband, what happens is, the, see, the, the son is a reflection of the father's glory, is the outshining of the father's glory. Uh, a man who's in right relationship with his Lord becomes the outshining of his Lord's glory to his wife. Amen. And then the wife becomes the outshining of the, Lord, of, the, of the husband's glory to her. So if it's all done right, if you look at my wife, you should see the glory of God that's been reflected through the son, through me, to her. That's what 1 Corinthians 11 says. Now, I don't want to get off into this, but I've discovered this. If there's a problem with that process, it's not between the Lord and the Father. (laughs) If it's breaking down somewhere, the first place I'm going to need to look. So instead of trying to straighten out my wife, my responsibility is to go and make sure I'm absorbing His glory and I'm getting lost in Him. Because as I do that, I'll begin to transmit that love and grace and glory and truth to her. And then she'll begin to respond to that and live that out. Praise the Lord. Well, we better move on. <laughs> who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person. The Greek word for image there is character. 
which is the word that literally means to cut or inscribe. And it grew to mean what happened when they imprinted on a coin, you know, on a penny or a quarter or a dime. There's a, there's a face or there's some figure or some building or something and writing this, in, this there. There's a mold that presses down on that and forms that image. That's what this word means. The image basically is a direct result of the... Of the of, in the old days, it was hand-inscribed or carved on something. So he is the carved image of the Father. But notice the express. Express means complete and accurate and precise. So what the writer of Hebrews is saying there is the way God communicated in these last days is by sending to us someone that is the exact image of Him, but now in tangible bodily form. We shared with you last week, and it was the first time I'd ever seen it, was that's why Jesus is the issue. One of the reasons. Because you can have your own general idea of what God is like. That's why people don't get upset if you talk to them about God, because that concept of God is so broad that, that you know, well, He's the Creator, you know, He's the general benefactor, He's all this stuff, you know, and, you know, He's just whatever basically people want. But when you take God and you reduce Him down to a human being where He says words that are written down, where people can look into his eyes and hear his voice. There's no mistaking what he is and who he is. He's God literally brought into a tangible form where there's no question of what he says and what he wants and who he is and what he'll do. It makes God specific. And when anything becomes specific, you have choices to make. We live in an age of toleration. We're so tolerant, we have no concept of truth. Because we don't want to offend anybody. I'm going to make a statement to you, and I want to get into it too long because I have other things we want to talk about today. Truth is narrow and it's specific. So don't ever, be, don't ever become defensive because someone says you're narrow-minded if you're speaking truth. Because I am narrow-minded about certain things. I'm very narrow-minded that 2 plus 2 is 4. I'm not tolerant that it might be 5. Now, when I was in school, I was, well, I was tolerant, but the teachers weren't. They were very narrow-minded. I tried to convince them that it was 3 or 5. But you know, they were narrow-minded. They insisted there was only one right answer. See, the truth is narrow because it's truth. And it's very specific. Therefore, I don't have to be ashamed of the truth. But see, when I wanted it to be three or five or whatever I picked, it was because it took the pressure off of me. I didn't have to adjust to the truth. I wanted the truth to adjust to me. And that describes the society we live in. And that's why why in Jesus' age they didn't like him, and that's why today in our age people don't like him, because he is narrow and specific. I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
Not I am one of several. Pick your choice. I am the way. Now, here's where people get confused. Well, that's bigoted. No. What would be bigoted if we said he is the way and only these people over here could come? See, it would be, it would be, it would, God would be wrong if he said, unjust, if he said there's only one way and only a few people can come through that way. I mean, would you consider that I'm bigoted and narrow-minded if I said, and I'm not saying, that, that, oh, excuse me, that I've just been told the building's on fire and, and all those doors are blocked by fire. There's only one door out of here and it's this one over here. Well, I'm not going through that door. That's narrow-minded. This church is narrow-minded. They're only going to let me go through that door. No, it's the only one that's safe. Don't become defensive over the truth as long as it's the truth in love. Make sure what you're speaking is the truth in love. Because if you're speaking truth and it's not in love, you're not representing Him because God is love. Jesus was specific. He was concrete. He was God in the flesh. Now, what that means is several things. That means what you do with him is a direct reflection of what you think of God. See, we like to live with this illusion, and I'm not speaking of any of you in particular, but human nature is, we like to live with this illusion that, well, I love God, I can, you know, I love God, but, but then we go live our life as if he's irrelevant. I've been reading the book of Malachi. <laughs> I'm probably going to teach on that sometime soon. And it's not just the tithe. There's a whole attitude that that was part of. They worship God with their lips and they worship God with their hands, but in their lives, they didn't worship Him with the way they lived their lives. So they, 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 they said things and, they, and the deception is I can believe, well, my intention, I, I love God. I love God. I'm living in sin, but I love God. I'm, uh, I'm living with somebody I'm not married to. But I love God. I love God. I, I don't have to come to church. Why do I have to come to church? I love God. But you see, I can say I love my wife. Tell her, I love you, dear. But if I don't come home for three days, and she has the audacity to ask me where I went, was, why weren't you home? And I said, well, what business is it of yours? That somewhat undercuts my words and say I love you so what Jesus does is he confronts us with God now that's good because God's good see we want the good part of God that he heals but we don't want the other part so how you react to Jesus what you do with Jesus is a direct reflection of of what you think of God, no matter what you say or even think. Well, I love God. No, what you do, because He is God in the flesh. So how can I disregard Jesus and say I love God when God sent Jesus? And He's God in the flesh sent to me. 
That's why Jesus is the issue. Let's go to, well, let's read the next part of this verse. Being the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins and sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. He sat down because the work was done. In the Old Testament, in the temple and in the tabernacle, there were no chairs. Why? It symbolized that the work was never done. But in Hebrews it tells us later on in here, it says that he sat down. He sat down. That doesn't indicate he was tired. He sat down because the work was done. God doesn't sit down because he's tired. God sits down when the work's done. Later on it says, until his enemies are made his footstool. Guess whose job that is? That's the church's job. We're here to make his enemies his footstool. He's destroyed the power of the enemy, given that authority to us, and our assignment is to do the mopping up operation, to make his enemies. Not, they're not people you know. Don't look to the left or right. Because Ephesians 6, which we're learning on Wednesday night, says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. So his enemies he's talking about are not people. It's spiritual forces that sometimes work through people. And maybe God wants to deliver those people that have been so nasty to you. All right, we better move on from that one. (laughs) That was really popular. Having become much better than the angels, he has by an inheritance obtained a better promise, a more excellent name than they. Now let's go over to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Oh, this is also good in here. Verse 15. He, if you go back, you can see he's talking about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. So he's saying here is, we can't see God. You don't know what he's like. Can't look him in the eyes. Can't hear the tone of his voice. See, there's so much that's communicated by nonverbal. You can't see somebody, you can't see all those intricate nuances. And God is invisible, but He, Jesus, was sent as the tangible image of the invisible God. So one of His reasons for coming is that we can see God. We can see Him in terms that we can relate to and understand. Why would He do that? Why would He do that? Why would God, and there's a number of reasons, but why would God take on flesh and come among us so that we would have an understanding of Him. Why would He do that? 
Well, God's ways are inscrutable. He is mysterious. After all, the Bible says his ways are higher, are not our, like our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. No, they don't start out as our thoughts. But why did he come and take on flesh, take on an image that we could see the invisible God if he didn't want us to know him? Why would he take on flesh and become visible if he didn't want us to see him and know him and communicate himself to us? Why would he take the word, the expression of himself, the full expression, and put that full expression in flesh and blood so that we could see and hear and touch and feel if he didn't want to be seen and heard and touched and sit with you and dwell with you and be with you and listen to you and talk with you and be with you. And yet we feel sometimes, you know, I've got to be in the right position. I've got to wear the right clothes. He just wants to be with you. Okay. There's so many directions we could go here, but I, I want to stay on point. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, the firstborn. There's a second born, a third born, a fifth, and somewhere is my born. He's the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, that's talking about the spirit realm or the natural realm, all things were created through him and for him. You get the impression he, it's all about him? He is before all things. And look at this one. In him, all things consist. So I think it's an ax. In him, we live and move and have our being. If you're trying to have your being outside of Him, you're having an identity crisis. In Him, we live and move and have our being. He is before all things. In Him, all things consist. You consist in Him. You exist in Him. You exist because of Him. You exist through Him. And yet, how little attention we pay to Him. He is the head of the body. We talked a lot about that last year. The church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things, that in all things, not just in the church service, not just in my finances, not just with my time, Oh, this is going to... You'll give up the finances and the time for the next one. Not just my body. Every verse just stand out at you. I had a verse stand out at me this week. Man, know the verse well. But it really began to... You are the temple of the living God. When you get up tomorrow and look at yourself in the mirror, just look at that. You're looking at 
the temple of God. He doesn't just dwell in the heavenlies anymore. He doesn't now just dwell in Jesus walking on the earth. He now dwells in the body of Christ and you are a part of that body. He dwell. Listen to me carefully. He dwells in you just as He dwelt in Jesus. He dwells in you just as He dwelled, dwelt in Jesus. The difference is Jesus was absorbed into the Father. He lived for the Father. He didn't try to live His own existence. He lived for the Father. And the result, the Father was able to live through Him. God wants to live through you. But He can only do that to the extent that we're not living in place of Him. Look at yourself in the mirror and say, and the Word became flesh. It's you. And dwelt among us. Because the Word's dwelling in you. I don't just mean the words from your Bible. The Spirit of the living God dwells in you. You are the temple of God. Therefore, he goes on to say, therefore, treat your temple as if it's holy because it is a dwelling place of God. That means I'm responsible to Him for how well I take care of His dwelling place. If you're a tenant, you have a landlord, somebody that owns the building, you're responsible to turn it back to them in the same condition in which you got it, normal wear and tear accepted. You don't own that body of yours anymore. It belongs to Him. Now, I'll tell you where that's a real advantage when it needs healing. Because you can say, this is yours. Fix it. See, if you're a tenant and you got a major thing breakdown, what do you do? You call the landlord. Uh, <clears throat> you got a problem. The, the furnace went out and it's... 20 degrees outside, what are you going to do to fix it? But see, that only works because you know he's the landlord and you're the tenant. It's so nice to be able to say, God, you've got a problem here. You need to fix your dwelling place. But see, in most of our cases, he said, oh, that's news to me, it's my dwelling place. You act as if it's yours. <laughs> well, we better not go there. <clears throat> Forget I said it. Look at verse 19. Oh, I love For it pleased the Father. It pleased the Father that in Him... All the fullness, that's the fullness of the Father, should dwell. It pleased the Father to take on flesh and be limited and restricted and dwell among us. 
Why? And by him to reconcile all things to himself. That's the, the Father. By him, that's the Son. Whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. It pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. But over in Ephesians chapter 3, the prayer we've talked about before is that we be rooted and grounded in love so that Christ may be formed in us, being rooted and grounded in love so that we may come to know with all the saints the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of God that passes understanding that we may be filled, that we now may be filled with all of the fullness of Him. That's the Son. So this verse says it pleased the Father to pour all of Himself into the Son and now we read in Ephesians 3 that it will please the Father when He can fill all of us up with the Son which is filled with all of Him. God's in the filling up business. <laughs> he wants you to be full of Him in the Son. You know, we look at the circumstances of our life that sometimes are absolutely overwhelming. And the problem is when we fear, we're looking at them in terms of what we can do. In terms of our own resources, whether it's our skill, our thinking process, or people or organizations that we can accumulate around us to help us get out of the mess or the situation we're in, or that looks overwhelming, or just looking at the news will do that to you. And you feel insignificant. And that's the problem. The church has felt insignificant. We've looked at ourselves and say, oh my goodness, there's persecution coming. Oh, what are we going to do? I don't see Paul doing that. Paul says, bring it on. Because in that, first of all, my patience, my strength, my faith gets stronger in the midst of, instead of getting weaker in the pressure, I get stronger. So I've learned to rejoice when the challenges come because they sharpen me, they strengthen me because I'm going to overcome them in Him. But Paul saw himself in Christ. He saw himself full of Christ who was full of God. Do you imagine God's looking at things with his knees going, oh, what are we going to do? Oh my goodness, I think we're going to fall apart. God's not moved by what's going on. Then why should we if we're full of him? I guess it depends on what it is you're full of. That determines how you react on the pressure. Are you full of the guiding light? Or as the stomach turns? Or whatever the current television... Or, or American Idol or, you know, you know, whatever it is. Some of these reality games. They're not reality. This is reality. The reality is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's reality. And the world needs a reality show. The world is desperate for a show of reality. 
The reason they fall for all this stuff is they're trying to soothe their comfort and self by seeing somebody else go through struggles and watching it vicariously because there's inner needs in them that are not satisfied. There's a desire for truth. There's a desire for something that's real that they can stand on, that they can trust, that gives them hope, that gives them a salvation. And that reality is in the church. It's in you. It's in me. He's the reality. Jesus is the reality. And the world needs a reality show because when they see that show, everything else pales in insignificance. Go over to chapter 2. Verse 4. Well, let's go down, um, verse 8. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy or empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, not according to Christ. So if something that you're hearing or seeing or being taught, whether it's some Christian book you get or whatever you get, and it's not according to Christ, don't pay attention to it. For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In his physical body dwelt the fullness of God. Now, think about that a second. Because I've often how can I how can God fill me up with himself? How can that happen? Because he's enormous. And although I'm a little bigger than I was last year, I'm not enormous like he is. But if he was able to fill Jesus' body with himself, then he can fill you and he can fill me. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Look at verse 10. Now he's talking about you. And you, say me, you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Every weakness that you have, every frailty you have, everything you're still struggling to overcome, stop looking at it. Now, that he may convict you of things that's different, but don't go on your own cleaning up project with yourself. That's just what the devil wants you to do. Because when you're doing that, guess who you're looking at? You. This says that when you came to Christ, you're joined to Him, and in Him, you've been made. Notice it's not future. You are now complete. Does that mean there's no work that needs to be done? No, of course that doesn't mean that. But you're complete in Him. And the more you focus on Him, who you're in, the more who He is becomes who you are. Instead of trying to act like Him, focus on Him. Spend time with Him. Realize that you are already He makes up for your incompleteness. 
He makes up for why? Because you're in Him. Just like that drop of ink in the crystal clear swimming pool absorbs the blackness of that ink. So you look in there, it's there, but you can't see it because that ink is now complete in the beautiful crystal clear pool. The Bible says you were washed in his blood. You're washed in his blood. His blood's enough. His life given for you is enough. He's enough. He's all you need. The problem is the reason we struggle so much is we see ourselves and live our lives separate from Him, trying to draw Him in when we need Him, or we feel obligated to talk to Him. Well, I've got to spend my time in prayer because I'm supposed to. But that doesn't develop a relationship. That continues to create this distance and fosters this distance. And the reason we do it is we're so aware of our weaknesses and frailties. Well, I didn't do this right and I haven't done that right. I think he knows it. And all he's saying is, I'm not seeing all that stuff. I see you complete in me. And yet we're standing on the outside afraid to come because we're aware of all of our frailties. But at what point have we fixed those up enough where we feel good enough to come? You'll never get there. So just come, because the Word says you've been made complete. He completes you. He completes you. He completes you. And He can do that because it's God that's come in the flesh. And He's big enough to absorb the drop of ink that you might be to Him. Absorbed in His love, absorbed in His grace, absorbed in His goodness.